Hey, I'm Danny Belvin. And I'm Danica Brown. And we're biracial unicorns. And we really don't think LeVar Burton enough. National treasure, LeVar Burton. Statue. A bust, if you will, in more play. I'm being actually low-key very serious. Like, he is a flippin' treasure. It's true. <laughs> There's been so much talk about, like, pulling down these old statues oh, that we don't want. Let's replace them all with statues of LeVar Burton. Every single one. <laughs> like, just him holding a book. Like, yes. that would be everything. One that can you imagine like being at a park and a really like a lovely like LeVar Burton one hold like in, in bronze holding like the very hungry caterpillar or something just really yes. something crazy classic and sweet I, I honestly I was at 25 years that he how many seasons really rainbow that long wow I mean I just I don't think we give enough credit where credit is due when it comes to like literacy and just how much effort. And I mean, there are stories I still only remember him reading to me. And I think mm. at a time where a lot of parents were working, I think of like our generation, there was an uptick of needing, you know, it, people full-time jobs, sometimes two parents doing full-time job and having babysitters and nannies and grandparents and so forth and so on. It's like, he read to us still, you know, it was just... I don't know. It's something really beautiful. It goes beyond nostalgia. It just goes to something really practical. And I don't know. Thank you, Mr. Burton. Thank you. Yes. We're a little while. We're a couple months removed from this. But when this resurgence of Black Lives Matter and everything started happening and he posted on Twitter, don't fuck with me today. Like, <laughs> <laughs> that was everything. That was just so good. <laughs> I, I know, I know. And the thing is, like, his attitude from his, his Star Trek journey as well, like, there's some people who have mad beef about their tricky past. And I have found him to be quite level-headed, quite real. I don't know, very, like, I would imagine being very approachable, but not, like, that's not his identity. I don't know. Just, he gives he gives me feels, and he's a mood. He is both. He is everything. I mean, feel like for... Those in our generation and younger, he is just a voice to listen to, right? Like he was mm. such a powerful influence on our childhood. I just feel like when LeVar Burton says something, people listen. So, mm. Or at least they should. <laughs> or they should. <laughs> they yeah. flippin' should. I just think about as far as like for, for the Black community here is a, a unapologetic, dark Black male out here and what is he doing he's reading to children and so sometimes when i get this whole this vibe of this fear of men of particularly dark-skinned black men Mm. i'm like i still find it because we have so many beautiful examples of nurturing kind powerful intelligent wide-reaching you know it's just one of those things of like and he's been in the game he's not new yes (laughs) he's not new he's done already been here (laughs) exactly i feel like jordy did not get enough to do on next generation uh i mean i try to think about the time and i always try to think about that first of like for the time and not it being a cop-out or anything of that nature i feel like Mm -hmm. there was something that was very untouched that was the thing of just like oh they really could have gone more and the fact that he had technically a disability as well like there was these beautiful layers and like oh it was so rich Mm -hmm. there that you guys could have really dived into and also had loved his relationship with with the data character as well like i just felt like they could have like really gone for it but like was was that something that was done across the board in any other sitcom at the time right (laughs) i don't know i i think now people are appreciating a little bit more character backstory and development 
now in shows in general, but I think it was just more, not your monster of your of the week, but, you know, your turn and burn, your beginning, middle, end. Beginning, mm-hmm. middle, end. So, I don't know. Just saying. I'm always ready for it. Yeah. Man. It's a good start. <laughs> I'm into LeVar Burton. I wonder... He seems like such a confident person Mm -hmm. and he seems so sure of himself in everything that he does. And I know that that cannot be the case all the time, (laughs) but, but it's like hard for me to imagine. Like it's hard for me to imagine LeVar Burton, not confident. Exactly. His name has so much weight and presence across the board. It's kind of that same thing. Even in his his interviews and cons, he just has that presence. And I don't know if it's something to aspire to. And I think today we kind of want to talk about a little bit as confidence, especially as a person of color. Going back on our episodes, I was looking over it the last couple of weeks. One of our most popular episodes is our episode 11, Mixed Race Half Enough. It's it was shocking that that's kind of the one that a lot of people seem to be drawn to. In this episode, mm. we we take a listener suggestion, which was great. We love those. We always need more of those. We dedicated our time sharing our experience about not feeling enough for ours. For for me personally, as a mixed woman, I never felt I was always too black to be white, too white to be black. You know, mm-hmm. we talked about uh, the issue of, of language and those themes and feelings kind of always run throughout our show. But today, I think it would be so great if we spend some time naming what that feeling is and diving in deeper. And that feeling is something called imposter syndrome, which I know we've mentioned it, but I really thought it'd be great to spend this episode and really dive deep into it. Yeah. And so imposter syndrome is something that the majority of people will experience at some point in their lives. Mm -hmm. It's definitely ubiquitous at this point, it seems. But I think for for our purposes, we're really going to focus on imposter syndrome and its impacts on women of color and Mm -hmm. mixed race women specifically. The imposter syndrome that I have experienced in my life is is (laughs) far reaching and manifests in all all different ways, Mm. right? Being a sometimes college professor, like I have these moments of like, wait, who who has let me be in charge of a college class. Like, who am I? <laughs> who am I to instruct at the college level? Talking to my colleagues, like, so many people have felt that way. It's incredible. But, yeah, let's let's definitely focus on that idea of imposter syndrome manifesting in terms of race and how it manifests with women of color in a broader sense. Well, I love that you even just brought up that example of you teaching a college class, because in the beginning, that's how it kind of started with, I think, Pauline Clance and uh, Suzanne Ines in the, mm-hmm. the 1970s. They're talking about this phenomenon with their students. You know, they're, these are, I believe... These are intelligent people. Like these yeah. are uh, academia at its finest and having this overarching feeling of just not belonging there. And of course, you know, over time and years of study, having this and being able to put it over the imposter phenomenon, uh, imposter syndrome of this internal dialogue of fake and phoniness and uh-huh. not, the not good enough and how that just kind of portrays. And you're right. It's not just into race uh, in the world of, of business in high power positions but even recently people have dispelled it's not only of people who are incredibly successful 
um, intelligent, wealthy, but you can find it at all levels of life. But it would be so nice to kind of look at it through that lens of race, particularly with mixed women, because I think we see it manifest in stronger potency and affects more people in minority groups as well. Mm-hmm. And we'll kind of go in a little bit to why that is. So so now talking about kind of like where that comes from, where that kind of evolved a little bit. How do you, how does this manifest? If someone was very unsure, how would you be able to be like, here are some tall tale signs? One of the ways to really distill it down is as a feeling or a thought or a thought cycle of not being enough. Mm-hmm. That is something that we've talked about and touched on several times, right? It's like this feeling of not being enough, not being enough in a professional sense, not being enough as mixed people in either or any of the the races or ethnicities that you're a part of. You're not enough of that. You mentioned not being black enough to be black or white enough to be white. So I, I think if you distill it down, imposter syndrome is about not being enough. And I think for for many of us, it's triggered by feelings of being othered. Mm. And it's triggered by having to navigate microaggressions mm-hmm. or being in a situation, in a culture, in a, a place where you are either ignored or objectified. Mm-hmm. And you see that you really see that and it manifests its way in in many different ways. You're saying the not feeling like you are enough. I think there's also the second guessing yourself, mm. um, not voicing your ideas or opinions, feeling your involvement is maybe performative a little bit, mm. especially race wise, if you're participating, especially in recent uh, events of the Black Lives Matter movement, people not feeling they quite belong. Am I performing this? Am I putting myself into this? Or do I really belong here? It can even be over-preparing. And these issues of why we are saying, you know, you can't necessarily be diagnosed. You're not, there's nothing wrong with you. This is not a chemical imbalance. But things like imposter syndrome can lead to things or agitate things like stress, Mm -hmm. anxiety, and depression, which is why we really want to bring it to the forefront, because we already know that people of color have a higher chance of having depression, anxiety, but often go undiagnosed as well. Yeah. So this is another one of those things of if you're listening to this and these things are starting to resonate with you, your mental health is important. This is one of those kind of warning signs that could lead to something that could be a lot, a lot more damaging to you. Yes. So have you, I guess you've already shared one experience. Are there any other ways in your in your personal experience that you have really kind of battled with this. Like I said, I've I've experienced it in all sorts of different ways. I have a similar mixed race experience as you in not feeling enough of any of my racial or ethnic backgrounds. So like in predominantly Latinx situations, I often feel like not Chicana or not Latina enough. Mm. And part of it is like the way I look. Part of it is having a white name. Part of it is, you know, not being as proficient in Spanish as I once was. Um, So I think 
like all those things i i feel that and the inverse like i'm not i'm not white enough for a white situation and i'm mm. not native american enough because i didn't grow up in that like for the those places as well so i think it's it's just something that i i almost live with <laughs> Mm. It comes in and out of my life pretty consistently. And it's, you know, it's something that I feel like all of us are starting to really learn how to approach and how to tackle. And I think the fact, like you brought up that this as a, a term has its roots in the 70s, which is before we were even born. <laughs> and the yeah. fact that it still feels like new. Like, it still feels like something that people are only openly addressing now. This is a bit of a tangent, sorry, but something that Ooh, I found really interesting with the origins of it is they they did a study and the, the findings were kind of something that they were, like, specifically coming to, to, like, give clinicians to help people process these feelings. But one of their hypotheses is hypothesi. <laughs> one of their thoughts going into it uh, <laughs> was that they expected amongst Latinx students to not have as high imposter syndrome feelings. Oh. And the reason was because culturally, there tends to be more acceptance of of fatalism as like a, as philosophy for your life and fatalism is like accepting fate right like things are decided by fate so i think the idea with pushback on imposter syndrome is people would just think well people are going to think what they want about me and there's nothing i could do about it mm. they found that not to be true but i'm yeah. like when i'm suffering from those feelings of imposter syndrome I try to go back to that thought of people are going to think whatever they want about me and there's nothing I can do about it. And so why does it matter? Why does being perceived as an imposter matter? It's really about me. It's not about anyone else, if that makes sense. Oh, it does. And it's that it's that dangerous question. Like when I do my conversation workshop, it's always like getting down to the why. I always say like ask like a child would. They would ask why until they're satisfied. And so it's mm. like, but why does that matter? Well, they're my colleagues. Well, why does it matter of your colleagues? Well, because I work with them and yeah, and I see them every day and they're really smart. Ah, so do you think they're smarter than you? And what evidence do you have to base that? Do you know what I mean? It's asking those questions down all the way, but that's something you have to answer. Like no one else can really answer those questions whatsoever. I think. Yeah. When we when we get down to that, it is I think that's what makes why it's taken us so long. There's a lot of work. And once again, because it's a very individual, internal dialogue that once again, when you feel like you're being a fake, you don't want to be found out. So what do you do? You hide that uh -huh. The issue with the most dangerous part of imposter syndrome is a very private, hidden agenda it is a you know it, it's a phenomenon that we don't want to talk about because it it busts that bubble it reveals the phony within that we don't want people to find out we don't want people to find out we don't deserve this job or we're not as smart or as capable 
what we're perceiving to be. And that's, that's why I think we're sitting here, you know, in 2020, trying to still get this word out and encourage people to be open about it. I was telling Danny right before the show, (laughs) I feel like I have every, we talk about a lot of things. I don't feel very versed in. I don't feel like I have authority. We're just here to talk. This I feel like I have a lot of authority. <laughs> I have a lot of authority. It's yeah. So much irony. I have so much authority to speak upon imposter syndrome because I have just walked in this life for so long. I was listening to a code switch episode of, about this weeks ago. Hmm. And there was something that a, a woman said about people who are mixed race. She's like, you get rejected twice as much. And yeah. I was like, it spoke to my soul. And, and because once again, it's not just the microaggressions as well. It's these spaces we keep getting rejected from. And then something else in my own life I saw, because I think you and I have both this in common, we occupy a lot of white male spaces. So in order to survive, I've had to acclimate do that code switching, I've had to assimilate even in just certain ways of how I handle myself, Mm. that when I'm out of those spaces, I question my authenticity. Mm -hmm. And I think even so my my husband's in the military, and just recently, they have allowed women of color to have like, braids and have different textures of hair. But I'm thinking this entire time, they have allowed women, especially women of color to be into the military, how they've had to change who they are, or even men of color, you know, they have to shave and Technically, you have ingrown hairs, bumps on skin, just a different texture and feel of skin and hair, but still having to acclimate in order to look professional. I mean, that in itself, it starts rattling with your idea and presentation of identity. And, you know, what does that leave you at the end of the day when you're sitting at home by yourself? How does that not mess with how you think you are and feeling enough? Did I fit in enough? Do I look professional enough? Did I accomplish enough in order to fit in these spaces? And at the same time, I did sacrifice a little bit of who I am authentically. So what does that mean for me? Who am I really? I think you're really on to something there about appearance and imposter syndrome. Mm -hmm. In a book that I was reading recently, uh, So You Want to Talk About Race, rereading, Ijeoma Ilua talks about how Black, she's, she says specifically Black, but I think it can be applied to people of color in this case. Black people tend to dress like they are going on a job interview every day for work, whereas like white people have the luxury of kind of dressing down and still being perceived as professional. So I think, of course, if you're having somebody who has to consistently like dress like they're going to a job interview and dress nicer Mm -hmm. than their white colleagues in order to be taken seriously like of course you're going to feel some sort of imposter syndrome because of that right like you're having to dress up and play a part in order to be taken seriously and the reason why I say it can be applied to people of color is because it's something that I see of myself like I always make a point when I am in a non-COVID world, when I'm going into work (laughs) of dressing a certain way Mm -hmm. in order to be perceived as professional. Mm -hmm. Well, it's actually, we have had this conversation about cursing, haven't we? Mm. Uh, And Mm -hmm. we've had, we've we've been on both of that side. Like, so like non-disclosure, I do, I do curse. I do think there are worse like words in the world than four letter words. But we both said like in professional spaces and even me talking 
on the podcast, I don't feel that freedom because if I do, I feel I get discredited using certain language as a woman of color. So I'm very meticulous always of how I how I speak and what I say and how I say it. And even the tone when I was doing my workshop, I realized I'm like, wow, was that aggressive? I'm like, but the thing is, no, I was being confident. If a man used that tone, would would that be perceived as mm. being confident and sure? And am I just asking mm. that because I'm afraid of how I'm being perceived? And Danny, you're kind of on the other side of that where you're just, you you said something like, I purposely am I in that. I use language that I want to, to establish that that is not a masculine or feminine. This is me. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Like I consciously push back on that Mm -hmm. in order to be taken seriously in certain situations. But yes, yes, like in a a work environment, like on the podcast, I do that in interactions with other like people Mm -hmm. on a personal level. I'll do that. But like in the classroom, of course, I would never, (laughs) I would never curse. And I am, (laughs) I am very aware of tone. Like you have to, and particularly as a woman, you have to ride that line of being like authoritative enough to be taken seriously, but not authoritative enough to be seen as like shrewish or in my case, like, you know, fiery Latina or whatever, you know, you want to be taken seriously, but not dismissed as a stereotype. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's it's an interesting thought and definitely one of those like internal exercises to realize like, what am I doing and why am I doing it this way? And how is it affecting my my mental perception of who I am and where I belong. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and that's the thing about specifically being mixed is that you're you're too ambiguous to really belong. A mm-hmm. lot of people within that have a loss of language, what they say is really tied to identity and feeling confident. You know, a lot of people or people I was reading about and in, in, interviewing about saying that loss of like, in New Mexico not speaking Spanish makes you feel like a like a phony. Am I really? Am I really Chicana? Am I really Latinx if I don't speak the language? You know, that mm-hmm. has a lot to do with it. And me personally, in my experience, I have found that I am defending myself of why I should be in a particular place or in a particular movement than dismantling. I'm spending all my time defending yep. when I could be Say dismantling it. the issue that I should be. And sometimes it's me defending myself. And sometimes it's me defending those around me of why I deserve to be here. And that that that's the danger. It's not just my issue with mental health. It's also, like I said, this I feel is so timely and talking about the Black Lives Matter movement, because when I was holding my I hold uh, workshops of just kind of creating space where people can learn and ask questions about how to have conversations about difficult topics, specifically about mm-hmm. race, but it could also be about religion, sexuality, so forth and so on. And I was actually, I did ask her this beautiful, beautiful young lady, Nayara, uh, who, about her experience. Um, her father is, his, he is, I don't, he's in Sweden. I don't know if that's part of her background as well, but she's also, she's from, she is also Portuguese. And she has family in Brazil. And she was talking about her life and how she went to here in England, went to a Black Lives Matter rally. And people were looking at her and kind of snickering and saying, why are you even here? And questioning her, her motives of being there. And here I was, you know, I know this young lady and talking about her motives and what was going on in her heart and feeling that not being enough to be there. 
Am mm. I not brown enough? You know, she's a brown young lady. Am I not brown enough to be part of that movement? And a few weeks back, I shared with Danny and a guest that we had on the show of an article I read about light skin or white passing black people kind of stepping to the side in order to make that for Black Lives Matter movement. And I'm just thinking of that people feeling like imposters, not feeling enough. Where do they fit in into this this movement for social justice issues across the board? But specifically now, there's so much danger that we're nitpicking and deciding what our worth is. And if we should be doing this in our motives and our performance and when we should just be working. And I just can be, I don't I find there to be so much danger in that. Yeah. And for me, I completely agree with all those thoughts. And that is why I feel like imposter syndrome goes hand in hand with colonialism. Mm. And, and I recognize that it's not every form of imposter syndrome is rooted in colonialism. But I think when we are talking about people of color in this particular issue, that it is certainly rooted in colonialism. It's like you said, we spend so much energy being concerned about if we belong, that we should be spending on dismantling these systems that are oppressing us. It's horrific. And you see that because it stems in colorism. It it stems Mm -hmm. in sexism. It it has all these other kind of off branches. But you're right. It has that heart of colonialism, like I said, also with assimilation, because once again, we have to assimilate into these predominantly white spaces. And that messes with our issue of identity. And that's it seems something that is that should be a movement and something that should be very empowering can also be another way for people to feel like a phony another way to suppress a minority group and in a time where we need everyone (laughs) when you need the marginalized group to come together in order to make a bigger louder voice we shouldn't be picking apart and there shouldn't be voices that feel like they don't have a space and that they don't belong there that counterproductive Mm -hmm. it's a difficult line to ride because i so much about imposter syndrome is about your internal dialogue but it's impacted by what you're experiencing on the outside. Mm. Your example, you said that that young woman was like getting pushback for showing up at Mm -hmm. a movement for not being black enough. So it's like that is sending her into a a thought spiral that was probably already there about, am I black enough to be black? So I think it's both. It's grappling with both. And like so many issues that we talk about, it is about doing your internal work, but then us showing up as a community and figuring out how to dismantle these systems that are impacting us negatively. Exactly. And there is something to be said about making sure that people of color have their own space. And I completely understand Mm. that. And this is what we've even talked about the one drop rule. We have all these things that want to be able to divide and separate people of color within themselves. I want to make it clear that I do understand that there needs to be camaraderie, healing, grieving within those spaces and need to be safe within that. And there is safety with people who tend to look more like you. And that kind of goes back to the idea of what we look like and this being so based upon our appearances. But the power of words are really great. And we have to be very 
cautious. There was, I was reading about a woman who came to do about a book she wrote about race, which is funny enough, but someone came up to her and just talked about how inspirational, how powerful, and basically how you've come up from nothing and how amazing <sighs> and just, yeah, but based, trying to be complimentary, right? Like you're great, you're well-spoken, how you come up and how you beat the odds. But she's like, that was not anything that I, I said. I I have an Ivy League background. I came from a really great, this is, does that make sense? This is what I just yeah. chose to study. And once again, those words that we can even think are complimentary. If you in the last couple of weeks or months have gone to a person of color, I'm like, I think it's just so great. What, what you're doing, what you got going on here. You have to kind of check that motivation. You have to kind of watch your verbiage. If you are a, a white person talking to a, a, a person of color within your workspace, within school and saying, why what words am I using that are actually true and false? What do I know about that person in their background, in their journey, and how they got here that is true? Or I'm assuming it was a rags to riches kind of thing. Am I being complimentary because of their work? Or am I just doing that because yeah. they are the only person of color here? I think an additional issue with that, what you're specifically talking about, is the fact that that compliment is mostly to serve the person saying it as well (laughs) you know it's like (laughs) watch me tell you how proud i am of you that you Mm -hmm. have had to overcome these things and i see that and i see it it's about (laughs) me seeing that and recognizing it in you i don't it's just so gross to me (laughs) Well, that's part of it, too. If there wasn't if we actually had that's why representation matters as well. Like for mm-hmm. let's say within within the workplace, if if you're struggling with your identity and feeling like a racial imposter because you've had to assimilate, if there were more people of color there, that might not be, you know, you might not feel singled out or that you have to represent everyone that looks like you on your shoulders. And when you don't feel like you're enough, you you spiral into these mm-hmm. self-doubt, second-guessing cycles. And I, I know I have felt that that weight. I have put that weight on myself. How about that? I have put that weight of feeling like I have to represent every shade of brown when I go into these spaces that are predominantly white or predominantly male. And that's that's not healthy. It should never be on me to do that. I should be presenting who I am because what I have to offer is enough but girl it is work it's work it is so Mm -hmm. much work and you have good days and you will have bad days and if anything from our time of doing this show and reading emails and your messages which we we absolutely love and feel so encouraged by so many of our lovely unicorns are struggling with feeling enough Mm -hmm. and to me for every compliment and how great it is to have camaraderie and that the affirmation from people that yes we we have this feeling this bond it also breaks my heart that there's so many people out there who just don't feel enough of the need to feel that way by Mm -hmm. outside sources yes we do have to do some self-work but my gosh it's just like the, the weight of knowing so many people feel that way yeah, it's not only that so many people feel that way, but we've like constructed our our private prisons where oh. we feel that way within ourselves and we don't feel like there's a space where we can talk about those feelings or express them because going back to this idea of imposter syndrome, it's 
the fear of being found out mm. that you're an imposter. So you can't even express it out loud because it's a self-fulfilling prophecy. You're like mm. showing everyone that you're an imposter by saying that you feel like an imposter. Oh, girl, say it. But how amazing is it when you actually get those? I've had very few moments when people have just said it. I don't feel like I deserve to be here or mm-hmm. I don't feel like I can speak on it. It is a freaking breath of fresh air. There's right? like, oh my goodness. Oh, like you feel like you have just like taken off your bra. You feel like you have taken off a corset. Like you can just breathe and you just feel, yes, I get it. I see you and I, I feel seen as well. And that is something it is. It's the kryptonite to imposter syndrome, isn't it? It's actually flipping talking about it. <laughs> Yeah, within myself, I have a tendency to want everything to be very open and very, I believe that everyone has a voice and I believe that everybody has their own experiences to bring to the table. And I do not have a strong desire to be on top of a hierarchy. And so Mm. I think like in a classroom, sometimes that's a little jarring for students because like one, I am a woman of color, two, I look young, three like I walk into the classroom and like I am here to learn from you also and so like I think that that sometimes can be very very jarring and I think that's also part of my my vulnerability in showing up with the idea that I do have this imposter syndrome but by leaning into it it also Mm. helps me recognize no I have literally studied for years I have you know had professional experience for 20 years like I have done all these things to be where I am and I definitely have something valid to bring to the table and acknowledging that you have something valid to bring to the table is isn't making me an imposter. It's just being really authentic and allowing us to work together and move forward. And it's something that I've also experienced recently in leading an anti-racism workshop. Like my first instinct is like, well, who am I to be leading this? And then Mm. I'm like, literally, I have been doing this work since I was a teenager. (laughs) Like I have been reading and I have been dismantling and I've been living my life in this brown skin and figuring out what that means. And and so I think when we do admit those fears, there's something that triggers, at least within me, where I'm like, wait, no, these are my credentials. These are my things. This is why I'm here. Mm -hmm. That's what I'm talking about. So we have talked about this issue, the causes, our fears, our experiences, and now we're getting into how do we break that down. And I love when you put it in that professional, the academic kind of rubric, because you're right, because racially, even when we started doing the show, I would tell people about it. I'm like, but you, you, but, but you know, it's, it's, it's just me and my friend and she's really smart. And I, I kind of like give her support. And then I'm like, no, 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 no. You have been living in this brown skin. You have marched, you have fought, you have written, you have orchestrated, you have studied, you know, it, it, exactly. It, listing like your credentials when you're, it's like for every time you discredit yourself, I feel like I have to give myself five more credits in order do you it's almost like that kind of practice back and forth and for me what has been really rewarding 
And it's something that I've kind of learned in healing racial generational trauma is affirming my own racial identity. And that's not mm-hmm. saying I am 54% Irish and this. No, 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 no. My racial identity in my experience as a woman of color. When I think mm-hmm. about my experience in my life and what I have gone through and what that looks like, when I really think about who am I to be out here talking about Black Lives Matter, I'm like, who am I in this world? I'm a woman of color who has accepted her privileges and now using her privilege as someone who's medium tone brown to help dismantle these systematic issues. I have also experienced great hardship and racism and prejudice in my life. And this is where it has impacted me and my family and what I am struggling with. And this is what I want for the future, for my life, for my daughter. It's one of those things of like that validating my own racial identity. And that's mm-hmm. something sometimes I have to do. I have to do it twice a day. And sometimes I feel so good for a month. And that does take time. And having, you know, Danny here as like support as someone who is mixed and kind of affirming those feelings as well and opening up about those imposter feelings and, and not, but having that support and talking about it is so beautiful in me helping myself support my racial identity. So I feel like that mm-hmm. really combats that I'm not enough. I'm like, but what does enough mean? Girl, when I finally asked myself, what does enough look like or what does it mean? My whole life changed when I mm-hmm. actually took that time, like racially, what does enough mean? And when you just break it down, like you said, you've literally been, you've done the work. Here are my credentials. Here it is. And it's, it is work, but, <laughs> but it is yeah. essential, I think, to dismantling that imposter voice in your head. Evaluating what is enough, what is that benchmark that I'm holding myself to mm-hmm. is really, really key. And I think also pushing back on any sort of stereotype of mm-hmm. what it means to be. You are a Black woman, right? Like you are. Like you've lived that experience. You've been that. You don't need to hit some checklist mm-hmm. of like this. These are things Black women do because people are more <laughs> more nuanced than that. Yes, exactly. And that's what I'm saying, like your own walking in that life, language or not, it's that it's that your experience. And I think even just now when I'm holding these beings, like, how do you identify and asking those really hard questions, and Mm -hmm. also not feeling forced to be part of things as well. Like, well, I am half, I should really be I'm like, what, what, what does that say about you? Once again, that enough feeling. So I don't know, I have found so much support in hearing other people's lives and their stories. And I think once again, creating a space and normalizing being that vulnerable, because the fact that your students would be very shocked that a teacher would come up there like, I want to learn from you because I don't know everything, but I'm here to facilitate. And like, the fact that that should be jarring is, is shocking. But once again, it's not normalized to be, I don't know, to be to have that vulnerability and that, that humility and but it's very freeing as well. When you already come in and be like, I'm not always going to get it right. Like, <laughs> there's something so freeing about that of making us all on that kind of equal field. I don't know. I don't know what that looks mm-hmm. racially, but there's something so freeing in that. Yes. Particularly as, as mixed race people, we need to seize that freedom that mm. we can exist 
in more than one world at once. And we could be more than one thing at a time. I really hate this, like, I'm half this and half that. It's like, no, Mm. you are fully this and fully that and fully mixed. You are all these things at once. Yeah, claim that. And I think, but once again, Luke has become from the colonialistic box life. Mm -hmm. We come, we are the boxcar children. Um, we are, we have to click those boxes. We have to occupy a space. We have to label ourselves from, from the time I remember being in elementary school and seeing paperwork of like very young. You have to click these boxes when you have a child and leave the child for the hospital. It starts so early in your life and it makes us ourselves into adulthood of like, well, where do I stand? And when people ask me, how do I explain what I am? And it's okay. It, you, yeah. you get to be those things because once again that is part of your identity you can't you, you don't get to miss out on that and that's okay that's what makes you mixed that is part of the experience and just because other people cannot relate to that does not make it any less real yeah yeah I was talking about those boxes a little bit uh with my sister a couple of weeks ago last week a couple of weeks ago recently and she <laughs> <laughs> and she brought up the fact that she always just puts prefer not to answer if it's mm. an option like that's where she's at you know like I think when you're forced to choose it's just so hard and the more we can move away from that the better. I think, you know, having the mixed or more than one race option is really nice or the ability to check more than one box. Mm -hmm. So I thought I put these on here and we don't have to spend that much time on them. But I thought of you when I was looking up stuff for the for the (laughs) there was like apparently there is a scale from Miss Pauline Plants that you can or take the test and see if you are if you actually have that there's like a, a scale of pending on your imposter syndrome I can link that link into the uh, show notes and did also, you take the test I girl no I know I have it I already know and I'm, <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't need you, a test to tell I, me yeah I have no like really I told you I'm in a complete authority about this like I, I already know I have a problem uh, then there was another study we were finding, which I did not know about this. It's like, what kind of imposter are you? And I did click. I don't think there's a test, but they just have these different profiles. There's the the perfectionist, the expert, the soloist, the superwoman, and the great mind. And I think I have been all of them at different times in my life. And it's, but like I said, reading it, it's kind of like what we talked about with personality test. I don't put all the weight into it, but just having mm. like a guide or some verbiage to kind of say oh that's why like with the perfectionist like that's why I feel like I want to make sure you know everything is right or I get upset or the soloist like why I'd rather take things on myself to make sure it gets done or the great mind if something doesn't come easy it must mean that I was never equipped to do it in the first place you know it's it's good to have those summaries uh, a little bit of that research or some of these these guidelines or outlines to kind of just help you navigate a little bit and explain why you're feeling the way that you're feeling or to make sense of what's going on. And because sometimes I don't think everyone's imposter syndrome is going to manifest completely the same. But when you kind of start thinking like, oh, I just thought it was particular. I'm like, no, you might be manifesting some imposter syndrome. You know, I thought that was really interesting. Particularly if you're you're on the fence about it or on the fence about what it means or how it can manifest, then taking a test does seem like a really useful tool uh-huh. for starting to grapple it. Because how can you grapple with something if you aren't even sure if it's there? 
Mm, totally, totally. So we will link that in our show notes for sure. So take it if you're if you're not quite sure if once again, if you're kind of even second guessing yourself, do it. I mean, there there's no harm in it. And also maybe kind of link into after that, maybe what kind of imposter. So it's going to be the imposter types so is going to be five different ones and, and go in that with a really open mind and not feeling like it's hopeless. Are you the only one? Because that's the secret. It's a lot more people than you think. <laughs> yeah. Like we said, that's the danger of imposter syndrome is you want to hide it away. So it's like most people experiencing okay. it in some way. So is there is there any final thoughts, anything to address to the unicorns who may be suffering or listening or this is something new for them? Um, I really liked your tip about pushing back with why is a question, Mm -hmm. why you're feeling this way or what is enough. I think like having that internal dialogue is great. I think this is not something that just one of us can do, but just to reaffirm the importance of representation, like the more we see people who are similar to us occupying space, the less you feel like you're an imposter, right? Mm -hmm. When you're seeing more mixed race people out there, it helps you feel like you are valid. So that's a good message for all of us to hold on to and to think about showing up and being loud uh, in spaces Mm. when we can, because it's not only about you, it's also very helpful for everyone else around you. So Mm. you're like doing a service by showing (laughs) up and being loud. Mm, Yes. Serve it to the people. (laughs) I, I, I think with this one, it's so widespread. I have seen, you know, um, amazing professors in in high professional colleges feel imposter syndrome. I've seen stay-at-home moms feel a lot of stay-at-home moms feel like a fake and a phony. I've experienced in my in in my life in many ways and I think it's just letting people know a hey, you're not alone and I think you will find that enough is a weird little construct that we have decided for ourselves or my favorite who has who decides what's enough. I think that would be my thing. Who mm. decides who and what's enough? Who decided this? I think when you actually ask yourself that question, and here's the thing, write it down, like write these questions down, write these down so that we can kind of go back to that. There's something very powerful about going back to things of, are you enough? Well, who decided what is enough? What does enough look like to you? And I guarantee it, when you start writing these things down, you'll be, it's just stuff. It's just a, a checklist. Mm. It's, it's something created by society. It, it's a construct. It's it's colonialism. You will actually see there are these outlying things that have created these this construct of enough. And if you actually look at it, it is something that needs to be needs to be broken down, and for you to kind of have that own self validation. But until you're strong enough to get there, I will tell you, you are enough. Mm-hmm. Um, you are enough. If you're a, a a woman who is struggling to be seen and heard. Someone is seeing you. Someone is, someone's looking up to you and you've got this. If you know you are the only person of color occupying that space, if you are a college professor, if you're a stay-at-home mom, you are, you are enough. You really are. And I hope you take the time to realize that as well. So yeah, that is, yeah, that, I like, I get emotional because like I said, this is something I have really battled with and I'm, I'm there with you. 
but ask those questions, you know. And recognizing that you'll have good days and bad days. Like sometimes you'll be crushing it and like you're totally there and you're feeling yourself and some days you'll really, really question it all. <laughs> and that's okay. Girl. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Should <laughs> so if you need to pick me up. <laughs> if I was too, if I if I landed in too emotionally hard because I do I had should we go to our happy place? Yeah, let's go to our happy place. is making you happy these days are you ready for this i um i i don't instagram as much i should probably should do more it's just it's most of my life i'm sure danny can really is on a screen at the moment and i can't Mm. i can't i can't cope and then i always go down rabbit holes that are just bad for my life but i have there's been a ray of sunshine on my instagram feed and that is the plant queen I I have to look up the spelling. It is so little known fact, unknown fact for anyone just to me. I love house plants. <laughs> Y'all, I love house plants. I don't have I have got I've been giving them away or stopped getting them because I'm gonna move soon-ish. But you all, like there's crazy cat ladies. I wanna be a crazy plant lady. The thing is, is I feel like you are not alone. And particularly in these COVID days, like so many people are increasingly into houseplants. Yes. And the thing is, like, I wish people would know how much I like they have names and souls. I just, I, I, but I stumbled upon the plant queen spelled K-W-E-E-N. And it is this, I love, here's the description. It's Gardner, a Brooklyn-based black queer femme queen, obsessed mm. with the botanical scene, hunty. <laughs> I'm like, well, yeah, we're already going to be best friends. But his his speed and the way he talks about plants, I'm like, that's exactly what I think about plants. They, I, they're genderized and he names and it's just, I love his aesthetic and I love the plants and I'm here for them. And I'm really already, already told my husband that we're going to have the weird plant house when we move to our new place. And I uh, am very looking forward to it. So it just, I don't know, it makes me so happy. I've always wanted to have an absurd amount of plants it just it lifts it lifts my mood and yeah I'm gonna be really sad to give away the plants that I have now though so but it'll be good new life they'll have great homes new life (laughs) new plants yeah new continent new plants I know I know I know gosh I really hope I don't over here, I was so shocked at how everything well things grow there. Like from the desert, you gotta you gotta pick and choose. It's work to keep plants alive. It's amazing it's- other places mm-hmm. how things just grow in the ground with like they just, just rain. <laughs> with know. just rain, you don't have to water them. It's crazy. Yes. I was like, you all don't have sprinklers here. What? <laughs> what is that not a thing here? I'm like, when you when are you guys allowed to water? When I straight up asked that, what days do you guys get to water? Girl, the stairs, my desert was showing. It was hardcore. <laughs> yeah, I, it, it blows my mind. And all of a sudden, grass makes more sense when you're somewhere mm. else. You're like, oh, I'm, grass mm-hmm. is an actual thing that just grows in the ground without you having to coddle it into growth. 
oh, I know. Or my favorite, when the seasons change, it doesn't automatically die. Like in yeah. some place, it will sometimes just stay green or maybe a little less green in the off season. When I saw green grass like in winter, I'm like, it can stay like that. Like <laughs> it can, yeah. it doesn't, it does, you can still walk on it barefoot and not wish for death. It doesn't just scrape the soles of your feet. What? Yeah. <laughs> it's amazing. It's the plant cast. It's, uh, no, but what, what's, what's making you happy? Well, July is hot. July is so hot. I, I know. So I've decided to go very basic, very bougie with fizzy water. Like, I know yeah. fizzy water has been like a cool thing for a while. It's like in, mm. it's hip, it's whatever. Here is something that I am recently exploring in the world mm. of fizzy water. Okay. Buying the same flavor in different brands to compare. That is only something you would do. And I am here for... Okay, so what is your flavor? Well, um, I haven't I haven't done like a full... Okay. A full like experiment in this. This is a recent thing. Okay. I mean, I think grapefruit is like one of the most ubiquitous flavors. Oh, yes. So I have been comparing some grapefruit... Uh, it's very, very interesting how it tastes so different between brands. Yes, the interpretation of the grapefruit. Yes. I love that. I'm into it. Also, just a, a sidebar, another thing about fizzy water that makes me happy is I have a coworker who has two kids, and they are five and three, and they call fizzy water spicy water yes which i think is just like the perfect description of it <laughs> like I spicy water love it i'm horrifically stealing that unapologetically in front of all these people i am stealing spicy water i love yeah. it i love absolutely it absolutely love it and i think i don't know is it just in my head i always feel like i my thirst is more quenched with fizzy mm. water I agree. I agree. I mean, I think part of it, too, is, like, it's so cold and it feels colder because mm. it's fizzy. I don't know. Mm. It's so weird because we don't – we have a small fridge, right? We live in England, and they're yeah. not big on ice here. So I've gotten so used to drinking everything room temperature. Yeah. So that's weird. But I'm just like, oh, yeah, cold fizzy water. I'm about to put some in there right now. Yeah. <laughs> See, we keep our, like, uh, our – Brita pitcher not in the fridge so like mm. flat water is room temperature in my house mm. but fizzy water comes from yes. the fridge yeah mm, I do this like is like that. the most boring happy place uh, i know is it weird i was literally gonna ask you so grapefruit go, going back to that do you prefer tart or like that's sweet like I, i'm serious i was like really on edge i'm like oh but what is she looking for because grapefruit is so it's one of those weird interpretive flavors, mm. isn't it? Sometimes it, t it, it is different. So, because lime and lemon, I feel like everyone has like, oh, that's lime, that's lemon. But I yeah. feel like that particular flavor, I think you chose that one. I don't know. That really will set the bar if a company can get grapefruit right. Yeah. They can get other things right. So that was a really smart move. Yeah. <laughs> All right. 
I love it. We, we should uh, talk about anything. I know. <laughs> Plants and spicy water. Spicy, spicy. <laughs> yes, we should. We should wrap wrap this yes. up. Yes. If, if we I haven't lulled you to sleep. Yeah, you're yeah. welcome. By the way, I know. Put that sedative away. You have us now. For real. <laughs> We would love to hear about what is making you happy. Uh, We would also love to hear about what you would like us to talk about on the show. If you have ideas or thoughts or feelings or just want to share with us, you can drop us a line. Our email address is biracialunicorns at gmail.com. We're also on social media. We are most active on Instagram. We're at biracialunicorns. We're also at biracialunicorns on Facebook, or you can find us on Twitter at biracial magic we want to give a huge shout out to Dolly pop art who's done our iconic unicorn photo that you follow her i don't know she's still commissioning work has she stopped that i'm not sure but she did have commissions open for a while so go ahead and check her out and you could even get your own unicorn (gasps) drawing of yourself oh be you and then send it to us so we can please i would love it I would love to see like an army of unicorn little badges and we will put up our Instagram. There we go. This is a thing now. We also we also want to thank the amazing Joseph Scott for our intro outro music. So Smith Photography that's done some of the lovely photos. I should really put more of those up. Also, I'm selfishly I want also unicorn photos. And if you all have any creative taglines you want to say, we always come up with different taglines in the very beginning. And I just want to know if you all have anything. You all are really creative people. So yeah, send those our way. Those areas. If you like the show, do drop us a review. We would really appreciate it. Or share the show with your friends. We we feel like the best way people hear about the show is word of mouth. And we have definitely seen more people showing up on our Instagram and on our feed. So keep it coming. Like we're so happy to engage with new people. Thank you so, so much. And it seems like a small gesture on your, your part, but it makes a big difference to us. So yes, keep doing it. Keep forcing your friends to listen to stuff. Yes. Well, we will be back next week with a mini-sode and in Mm -hmm. two weeks with another full episode. Yes. (laughs) All right, friends, take care, stay cool, hang Mm. out with some plants. I hope you're all doing well. Enjoy your spicy water. (laughs) Enjoy. All right, y'all. Peace. Out.